The reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, and is on page 79 of your pew Bible. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came, touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, who loves us with a transforming love. From our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, and from the Spirit who unites us all. Amen. Well, you may have noticed we've leapt quite a bit forward in the Gospel of Matthew. Here in the 17th chapter, we are far from the first utterances of Emmanuel, far from the words of blessing for those who no one imagined being blessed, far from salt and light, far from the hyperbolic plucking out of the eye, far from the odd crowds. Most of Jesus's ministry has occurred by this point. His teachings have caused great controversy, not to mention the way he chose to heal people. And in the verses just before our story today, Jesus has not only asked the infamous, who do people say that I am, question, but has also proclaimed that he must die so that he can rise again. He tells Peter in one breath that he is the rock on which the church will be built, and then, in the next breath, calls him Satan when he fails to understand the mission and ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus says to his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The disciples find themselves at a transition moment in the gospel, and an important one. They will encounter in a few short chapters the persecution of their leader. They will be called upon to trust, to dig deep, and remember all that they have been taught. And eventually, they will figure out how to lead a world-altering movement centered on God's very real love. But before all of that happens, they go up the mountain with Jesus and encounter the awe-inducing transfiguration of their Savior. Transfiguration Sunday is for us also a transition time. 
It is a bookend of a season that reveals to us who Jesus is. We began this season with the question, what child is this? Or we can put that in other words, who do we say that Jesus is? And the Magi reveal to us that Jesus is more than a human child. Joseph shows us the trust that it takes to take up their cross as the impact of this child has an impact on his life. Jesus himself learns who and what he is when he is baptized and hears God's voice proclaim him as beloved. And now here on the mountaintop, we see another revelation of who Jesus is, this time as the divine, indescribably dazzling. The transfiguration is full of mystery. It's one of the first moments where we see that God is more than our own experience of God. The disciples, while maybe getting a glimpse now and again into this nature of Jesus's, sees the majestic glory of God, not unlike what Moses and the elders saw in Exodus 24 as they were on the mountain. Fun fact, in Exodus 24, Moses and the 70 that are with him are allowed to see God's glowing face. It isn't until chapter 33 that we hear the law, no one shall see my face and live. But on the mountain with Jesus, the three disciples see Jesus for who he is, God, the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who saw the people through the wilderness, who raised up prophets to guide them in times of trouble, who sent his only son. This moment defies any expectation that Peter, James, or John could ever have of our God. Here in front of them was the glory and mystery of God in their friend and leader, and it was so overwhelming to them that they don't know what to do, except for perhaps what their ancestors did when they encountered the divine in the flesh to show hospitality and awe. I've often characterized Peter as being really clumsy here, but I don't think he is being clumsy. I think he's remembering the stories of his ancestors who entertained angels and God's own self and then showed the hospitality to them, generous, abundant hospitality. And like those ancestors, he's grappling with the reality before his eyes. His heart and his mind are trying to make room for an awe that he has never experienced before. And he's the extrovert there on that mountain, so he does all of this out loud for everyone to hear. And then it gets immortalized. I'm feeling a little bit sorry for Peter right now. And Peter is interrupted by God as he tries to figure all these things out. And God uses the exact words that we hear at Jesus' baptism. This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. But God adds some extra words here when he says, listen to him. Peter and James fall to their knees in what the NRSV says, fear. And while I'm sure there was some heart-pounding fear and terror going on, a better translation here would be awe. They are surrounded by the mystery of God, just like their ancestor Moses was when he went up the mountain and encountered God in the clouds. The power of this moment holds them 
both in the mystery and the reality of God, and it's almost too much. But God's words to them, to listen to Jesus, are what will get them through the hardest days of their lives as they build the church. Because in these three words spoken to overwhelmed hearts and minds, God is reminding the disciples and us to embrace the mystery of God, to put aside all we think we know, to put aside our desire to fully understand everything before we act, to put aside our human ambitions for power, status, to be the winner, and to listen to Jesus. In this moment, Peter, James, and John are told to forget what they think following Jesus means and listen to what Jesus is actually saying. And these words are for us as well. Here in this moment, we are told to embrace the mystery that is our God, the unexplainable and yet known love that calls us to a way of life that defies the human expectations that burden our lives every day to trust that there are things we won't understand, can't comprehend, and follow anyway, listening to the voice of Jesus. Because when we try to put God into some sort of human-sized box, when we take away that mystery, we begin to make the box look like us. We begin to make God look and think like us. We forget that we are not God that we don't know. On February 19, 1942, two months after the attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Roosevelt signed the Executive Order 9066. He did so out of fear, fear for so many things. It has been called a failure of political leadership. You see, Executive Order 9066 authorized the use of internment camps in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. 120,000 people, more than half of them of Japanese descent, but American citizens, were taken from their homes, often by night, and forcibly detained with very little recourse. This action often gets overlooked in our history. There's so much more in World War II that seemed like greater atrocities that we point to those things and forget that we too played God with people's lives. It's so easy to justify. It's so easy to forget. So easy to forget that in the mystery of God we are called to trust in the freedom that we are given to be different kind of people in this world. We forget that we are no longer bound by the fear that tells us to hate, that instead we are freed so that we can be light and salt, so we can proclaim blessing on those no one would dare bless, so that we can reveal the kingdom of God just a little bit more to a world that needs to see it, so that we can work for justice for all of God's people. When we remember that God drew near to us in love, just as God did on that day on the mountain, when we remember who and what Jesus was and is listening to him, following what he actually says, it changes everything for us and for the world. It did for the disciples, huddled in fear in that upper room, having betrayed the very one they dropped their nets for. 
And again and again, they will listen to Jesus. They will remind each other of his teachings. And each time they do, the world is given a glimpse of the kingdom of God. When we listen to Jesus, when we embrace the mystery that is God, when we draw near to one another as we are called to do, something amazing happens that we don't like very much. We see and hear how we are wrong, how we have strayed into the territory of fear and the false certainty it gives us. And when that happens, when we're able to see those moments, when we are able to listen more deeply, we are able to respond more fully to the call of Jesus to follow him. We are freed once again to see what the shape of our cross needs to take. Despite the common understanding of that part of Scripture, taking up our cross isn't about whatever we happen to be struggling with. My cross to bear today is not my struggle with politicians who never mean what they actually say. Taking up my cross is being willing to endure the suffering that will occur as I work for the kingdom of God, which means perhaps being willing to give more than we are comfortable with, perhaps listening to voices that may change our mind or amplifying the voices of people who have been silenced for too long or speaking out even when it may cause us to lose our jobs, our wealth, or our power. When we allow the voice of Jesus to be our guide, when we draw near to God and to others, we see that we need to change. We see what the shape of our cross is to be. Here at the transition point that is Transfiguration Sunday, we are reminded of the deep mystery of God that calls us into a new way of being and does that by becoming the very real person that is Jesus the Christ. There's one moment in this story that I've always overlooked, and perhaps it is true for you too, but I think it's one of the most important things that we need to see so that we understand the realness of Jesus in midst of the mystery of God. After God has spoken and Moses and Elijah go their way, Jesus sees his friends on the ground, overwhelmed with everything that has just happened. And what does he do? In this gospel, and only this gospel, he reaches down and touches them. As they are overwhelmed with the awesome mystery of God, Jesus' touch brings them back to the present, reminding them that he is real, flesh and blood, right there with them by touching them and speaking to them with compassion and love. He says to them, my friends, do not be afraid. I'm here with you. As we listen to this moment, we are called to remember that this same Christ reaches out to us in compassion and love and tells us not to be afraid. We remember that this very Jesus, who is God, was present with those who suffered during World War II as their countries turned on them out of fear and a desire for power, both abroad and here at home. We remember that this very Jesus reaches down, stands with those who are oppressed in any way, even today, and calls us to do the same. 
As we enter Lent, what nets are you being told to drop so you can draw near to your neighbor and learn whatever that may be? What shape does your cross need to take? What mystery do you need to embrace? Last week I shared with you that I wasn't sure what my Lenten discipline was going to be, and I've spent time in prayer and thinking. And for me, this Lent, I need to draw near to people of color, to learn more about a history that was not taught when I was going through school, but still impacts our lives today. So to that end, I will be reading the book, The 1619 Project, throughout Lent. It's only about 12 pages or so a day. And as I do so, I'm going to remember, because I'll need to, that Jesus reaches down to those who are overwhelmed and bids them to not be afraid. And I imagine that I am going to need to learn as I draw near to our neighbors. I'm going to learn to listen to Jesus in a new way. Our God is indescribable, something we cannot fully grasp ever and yet God is real and deeply describable in the love that we know through Jesus and each other and the ways that we live into freedom from all that binds us. As we enter this Lent, let us all be transfigured by the glory of God as we draw near to God and one another. Amen.